0: Worship team, thank you for leading us to love Jesus. Uh, Welcome. If you are here in the space, super excited that you guys are taking time on a Sunday morning to be with us. And if you are joining us online, thanks so much for taking an hour uh, to be with us. My name is Michael. I serve as uh, one of the pastors here and sincerely grateful that you guys are here or watching with us. Uh, I've had the privilege uh, to be married to my best friend. Uh, Her name is Kyla for a little over 22 years now. Now, there's a lot of stories that I could tell you about marriage over the past 22 years, but before there was marriage, there needed to be something called an engagement, me asking Kyler the question, will you be willing to spend the rest of your life with me? Now, it's safe to say that getting engaged it's kind of a big deal. Like, it's a big deal for a guy to ask a girl the question, hey, will you spend the rest of your life with me? And it's kind of a big deal for a woman to say, yes, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you. Now, imagine for a moment if this is what my engagement to Kyla sounded like. Imagine if I said, Kyla, I absolutely love you. I'm crazy about you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. But I have this one condition, and my condition is this. I still want to be able to see other women once we are married. You'll definitely be my number one girl. You'll definitely be the the girl on the top of my list. But I still want freedom to be able to see other women. Now, I'm guessing that would make for a pretty memorable engagement story. I'm guessing if someone was videoing that engagement, it might even go viral. But I guess my question to all of the women here and all the women that might be watching online, would you ever say yes to that? No. Like, would you ever say yes to that request or to a proposal? Would you even entertain the idea of saying yes to a proposal like that? I'm guessing absolutely not. I'm guessing you would have some choice words for your soon-to-be ex-boyfriend, and after your choice words, I'm guessing that you would remind him something unique and special about the marriage relationship, namely that it is an exclusive relationship, meaning it's a relationship that's not to be shared with anyone else. Now, Hopefully, my silly example will never be anyone's reality here, but I'm mentioning this because I wonder if this describes what many of our relationship with God actually looks like, meaning we have a relationship with God. A relationship with God is is really, really important to us. We'd even say God is on the top of our list but we still have ongoing relationships in our life with other false gods. Now, we don't like to talk about these other relationships because it gets a little bit awkward, gets a little bit strange. But again, we have these other relationships going on in our life. And we're not confused as to who's number one on our totem pole. God is most absolutely number one. But regardless, we still like to flirt with some of the false gods in our life. Now, later on in this message, we're going to talk about who are those or what are those false gods that we might have. uh, And ask actually some pointed questions about how you can actually identify what some of those false gods might be. But the reason that I bring all of this up uh, is because today, this morning, we're looking at the first commandment in the Ten Commandments. And what we're going to see with this first commandment given is this. God is calling for exclusivity. God is calling for exclusivity in relationship with him. This is commandment number one of the Ten Commandments. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You must not have any other God but me. You must not have any other God but me. There's a reason this commandment is the first commandment. This is the foundational commandment, first in importance as well as in order. Because our ability to actually honor this first commandment is going to impact our ability to honor and obey the other nine commandments that are given. Uh, I like how reformer, uh, pastor, theologian Martin Luther said it. He said this, you can't violate the other nine without breaking this one first. You can't violate the other nine without breaking this one first. But I think what's so hard about this commandment for so many people is the claim of exclusivity. No other gods but me. Now, I think when we hear this, we immediately begin to think of this idea of a hierarchy, meaning God must always be in first place in my life. God has to be first place. Now, to be clear, there is no second place. There is no third place. There's not even a fourth place. What God is saying, there are no places in your life. God is saying, it is me and me alone. Now, in many ways, this is kind of a simple, very straightforward commandment. Listen, don't have any other gods in your life, it's not complicated. It's not a confusing command. Don't have any other gods in your life. God wants to have an exclusive relationship with you. So, it's simple. It's not complicated, but as I've been thinking and praying through this first commandment, an incredibly important commandment, there's three crucial questions that I found myself asking. Question number one, well, are there actually other gods? Like, why give a commandment that we should not have any other god in our life, is God saying there are actually other gods that really exist? Question two, is God basically a cosmic megalomaniac? Meaning, is God just like a serious egotist that He has to have the entire world and all of creation worshiping Him because He's just so insecure in who He is that He just needs people to love Him and to worship Him alone? And then the third question I found myself asking is, well, what right does God have to demand that we are to be with Him and Him alone? I mean, who is He and what has He done to command exclusivity from us? So, one command, but three critical, crucial questions that we're going to walk through this morning. And if we're off in how we actually answer these questions, Questions, again, we're not only going to miss honoring and obeying this first commandment, but we're going to miss absolutely all of them. All right, so question number one Are there actually other gods? Does this commandment imply that there are other gods in the universe, that God is somehow competing with all these other gods that are out there? Now, to be as clear as I possibly can in this answer, no. No way, absolutely not. This first commandment is not suggesting that there are actually other gods out there in our world, in our universe. Exodus 20, verse 3, does not support henotheism. Now, if you're not familiar with that terminology of henotheism, henotheism basically just says, I worship one God, but I also believe that there are other gods out there. So, I believe that I'm going to worship this God, but I'm not going to disbelieve or say that there aren't other gods out there in the universe. This first commandment is not saying there are many, many other gods out there. You just need to make sure that the God of the Bible is your most important God in your life. The first commandment begins with the assertion of monotheism one God and one God alone. God is a monotheist. He has always been a monotheist. The very first verse in the entire story of Scripture proclaims there's only one God. There's only one God and one God alone. This is Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. He created the heavens and the earth. Now, that might sound Normal to us, that might even sound very familiar to each of us, but this verse in the ancient Near East, well, this would have been strange. This would have been incredibly unusual to make such an assertion as one God created the entire heavens and the earth, because every culture had their own creation narrative, but their creation narrative usually involved multiple gods. Some creation narratives involves two gods procreating and out of their procreation came the universe and everything in it. Some creation narratives tell the story of two gods were just fighting with each other and one god slays the other god and out of the ashes of that dead god gives birth to the universe and everything in it. But in Genesis chapter 1 it tells us a very different story. It simply says no way. There is only one God who created absolutely everything. Uh, John Dickinson Dick, is an Australian uh, historian and apologist. And in one of his books, he said this, monotheism is not just the Bible's first commandment. It is its first thought. It has always been one God and one God alone. So if the first commandment is not supporting polytheism, just hundreds if not thousands of gods, and it's not supporting henotheism, then why even suggest that there might be other gods? Well, what we have to, as modern readers, keep in mind is that this commandment is given to a very specific people group. The Israelites are only a few months removed from having spent over four Hundred years in Egypt. And if you're not familiar with Egypt, they literally were the poster child for what a polytheistic culture actually looked like. Countless, hundreds and hundreds of gods and goddesses that this culture worshiped. So as you might imagine, over time, God's people began to adopt their customs, their traditions, their rituals, their way of worshiping man-made false gods that the Egyptians were worshiping. Uh, Listen to how God describes Israel's love and affection for the idols of Egypt. This is in Ezekiel chapter 20, starting at verse 5. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. When I chose Israel, I revealed myself to the descendants of Jacob in Egypt. I took a solemn oath that I, the Lord, would be their God. I took a solemn oath that day, that day, that I would bring them out of Egypt to a land I had discovered and explored for them, a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the best of all the lands anywhere. And then I said to them, each of you get rid of the vile images you are so obsessed with. Do not defile yourself with the idols of Egypt, for I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and would not listen. They did not get rid of the vile images they were obsessed with or forsake the idols of Egypt. So with this first commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, God is taking a stand against the false gods of Egypt and the false gods that people would be tempted to give themselves to in the days to come. So commandment number one is not a concession that there are actually other false gods or other gods that actually exist. Commandment number one, it's a really loud and it's a very clear statement to the people of Israel as well as to all of us that we are a people like they were that are prone to worship false gods of our own choosing and our own creation. Now, as I was thinking about this this week, why do we do that? Why do we make up these false gods that we give ourselves to, that we give our time, our heart, our affections to? Why do we do that? And I think there's actually just one word that helps shed light. Just one word, three letters, that helps shed light on why we give ourselves, who we are, to these other false gods. And the word is this, and, and, we want God And we want, you fill in the blank. We are people that just live by that and. Yes, we want God. We're not denying God in our life, but we also, and we want this. And I think the fill in the blank will vary from person to person, but I think why the first commandment is so difficult is because it demands that you and I die to the end. God is saying in commandment number one, there's only one God. There's only one God for you. So I guess I would ask us this morning to consider this question, is there an and in your life? As you examine just kind of who you are and kind of where you are in your story right now, is there an and in your life? I want God, but I also want safety. I want God, but I really want my career. I want God, but I really want some money to go along with that. I want God, but I also want possessions or prominence or pleasure or position. I really want God, but I also want comfort and convenience. See, commandment number one calls for us to repent of our and so that God and God alone has our ultimate allegiance. Question number two, is God a cosmic megalomaniac? Meaning, is God just an egotist? Is God demanding that we should have no other gods because ultimately the God that is calling us to be with him and him alone is just really, really, really insecure? Well, to be as clear as I can on this question as well, the answer to that question is no, absolutely not not any possible realm that God is somehow insecure in who he is God's command that we have no other god but him is not rooted in insecurity but his command is rooted in God's great love for us and i'd actually go as far as to say this first commandment is the most loving command that God could give to you and give and could give to me now you might be wondering how is this a loving command it seems negative Have no other gods in your life but me. So, how is this a loving command? Well, let me answer that question with two questions for you to consider. Is God God? Like, just think about that for a moment. Is God God? And when I say is God God, I'm asking is God, is He perfect? Is He pure? Is He true? Is He trustworthy? When we think about God, do we think about God that He's all-powerful, that He is all-present, that He is eternal, that He is sovereign in everything that He does, He's eternally unchanging? So, the question, if the answer to those questions is, yes, God is that and so much more, well, then my second follow-up question would be, well, does God actually know He's God? Like, does God know all of those things to be true about who He is, that He is All loving and true and righteous and trustworthy and sovereign and eternal, does God know those things to be true about Himself? Seems like a silly question, but the answer, if the answer is no, that He doesn't know those things about Himself, well, that would then disqualify Him from being God because God is all knowing. Now, stick with me in this train of thought. If God is God and He knows who He is, then if God did not demand that He alone Be our God, well, that would be unloving of Him. How would it be unloving? If God did not command that there are to be no other gods but Him, then He would be allowing your affections, He would be allowing your attention to be aimed at something less than the very best, which is God. Did you catch that? If He is not commanding, demanding, that He is alone our God, if He didn't demand that from us, then it would be unloving. Because the most loving thing for God to do is to point all of who we are to all of who He is because He alone is God. So, commandment number one ultimately is a loving command because God is calling you and me to give our affections, to give Everything of who we are, heart, mind, soul, and strength, to the most magnificent being in all of existence. Maybe let me ask it this way Have you ever wondered, does God really love me? Because sometimes it doesn't feel like He does. Does God really desire what's best for me in my story? Have you ever wondered those two questions? Now, I'm guessing most all of us here would say, I've wondered those questions actually numerous times. So, if you have wrestled with those two questions, well, then my invitation to you is to look upon the first commandment again with fresh eyes. To look at the first commandment with fresh eyes. Here it is again You must not have any other God but me. In this one command, God is seeking to spare us the devastation and heartbreak that comes from giving ourselves to false gods, to the gods that are man-made and cannot fill or satisfy our deepest longings. This is a loving command that God gives us in commandment number one. All right, now question number three, what right does God have to demand exclusivity to Him and to Him alone? I mean, who is He? And what has He done that He can make a demand on my life that I am to be with Him and Him alone? Now, some might just answer the question and be like, well, Michael, that's a no-brainer. He's God. He can do whatever He wants. Well, gosh, that sounds kind of like a harsh, cruel God. And that's actually, if we, that's our thought process. God is God. He can just do whatever He wants. Well, that would completely misrepresent altogether the one reason that God actually gives as to why He is commanding His people as well as us to have no other gods but Him and Him alone. See, before the first commandment was given in Exodus, here's what Exodus chapter 20 verse 1 and 2 say, then God gave the people all these instructions. He's talking about the ten commandments that are about to come. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. See, commandment number one is predicated on who God is and what God has actually done for His people. The demand that God is making is not coming from some capricious or some impersonal deity that ultimately doesn't know or care about the people that the command is being given to. When God says the words, "'I am the Lord,' He is reminding them in this moment of His personal name, Yahweh, which would remind them that it is the great I Am that is speaking to you, that the one who is eternal, sovereign, self-sufficient, the covenant-keeping God. When God reveals Yahweh, this would spark in their hearts and their heads, wow, this is Yahweh, the personal God that is speaking to us. This is the same God that spoke and revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. This is the same God that delivered Israel out of Egypt through powerful miracles. This is the same God that led them through the Red Sea. This is the same God that provided manna in the desert for them. So this is not some unknown or impersonal God that is just in the distance giving them them this command. But then it goes on in that verse, "'I am the Lord, your God.'" I am the Lord, your God. God is not just revealed as the Lord, but He's saying, I am the Lord, I and I am your God. The demand to have no other God but Yahweh, the great I am, great I am, is coming from a God that they would know and a God that knows them. God not only reminds them of who He is, His personal name, and what that means, but He also reminds them of and this is what I have done for you. Again, in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. He's reminding them, I rescued you, and I delivered you. I have redeemed you. So, in light of what I have done for you, why on earth would you ever trust or love or give your affection to any other God? See, what would fuel their obedience to commandment number one is not the promise of redemption, not the promise of rescue, not the promise uh, of deliverance one day, but what would fuel their obedience was the promise of redemption that they'd already experienced, that they had already been given. See, what God wanted His people to know and what God wants all of us to know as well, who God is and what God has done it must shape all of who we are and all of what we do. Who God is and all of that, what that means and His name and all of what God has done, it has to shape who we are and everything that we do in our stories. No other gods but God alone. Now, I spent Significant amount of time this morning answering three what I think are crucial questions that commandment number one raises. But I want to finish our time this morning uh, by really speaking into the heart behind this commandment. And I wrote it down in my journal like this The heart behind this commandment is you saying goodbye to false gods in your life. You and I saying goodbye to any and every false gods that we might have in our life. And I want to stress the personal pronoun that is used, you. When God says, you must not have any other gods but me, this command is singular. So this command was certainly given to a people group, but this command is given to you and I individually. So you can read this command, and it says, Michael Davis, no other gods but me. Jason, no other gods but me. Simon, no other gods but me. Kyle, no other gods but me. Barbara, no other gods but me. Sarah, no other gods but me. You fill in your name. This is a personal command given to them as individual people, but also given to us. Commandment number one calls us out individually. So my question, what or who are some of the false gods that we're still flirting with in our life? The gods that you might say, well, they're in second place or third place or fourth place. But my point is, they still have a place in your life. Because commandment number one says, no other gods, no other gods but me. So I want to give you a very practical questions to help you and I identify what are some of these false, man-made, lesser gods that we often give ourselves to. Question number one, what disappoints you? What are some things in your life that disappoint you? Because disappointments often reveal the people or the places that we have placed an intense amount of hope on other than God. So what disappoints you? Another question that we can ask to help reveal what maybe false gods we have would be this. What do you complain about most? What do you find yourself most complaining or critical about most? Because what we complain about most often reveals what matters most to us. So if we find ourselves complaining about money or sex or complaining a lot about politics or hurts or our career, well, that's going to help reveal of what matters most to us more than anything. A third question would be, what do you make financial sacrifices for? What do you find yourself making financial sacrifices for so that you can have this or own this or go here? Where your money goes often reveals what false god is winning your heart's affection. Another question could be, what worries you the most? What not only keeps you up at night, but what wakes you up in the middle of the night often is a good indicator of the false god that maybe has taken over your heart and your mind. And a fifth and final question would be, where or who is your sanctuary? Where or who is your sanctuary? And what I mean by that is, where or who do you turn to when you find yourself hurting most? Where's that place of refuge that you turn to? Whether it's going shopping, whether it's eating, whether it's another individual, where are the places or the the people that serve as a refuge to you often reveals what or who we are trusting most? Now, obviously, this is not an exhaustive list of questions that we could ask ourselves related to what are the false gods in our life. I'm not going to ask anyone at home, and I'm certainly not going to ask anyone here to raise your hand on this, but I'm guessing these five questions have at least in this moment revealed to all of us a reality that's true for everyone. We've all broken the first commandment. There's not one person here who could say, well, sweet, I don't have any false gods. I've never broken the first commandment. None of us could actually say that. And because all of us are in the same place in that same boat, we've broken the first commandment by having fake, false, lesser, man-made gods. Well, then there's also one thing that is true of every single person here, every single person watching online this morning. We all need Jesus. Every single one of us needs Jesus for one reason and one reason alone. I shared this verse last week, but this is Jesus speaking in Matthew 5 when He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, the commandments, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I've actually come to fulfill them. I've come to live them out perfectly. Jesus did what we couldn't do he fulfilled perfectly commandment number one. Commandment number two, all the way through commandment 10, all of God's commands, Jesus fulfilled perfectly. So why we all need Jesus is because only Jesus, because he did it perfectly, can restore, redeem, and reconcile us back into friendship, relationship with God, the relationship we were created to have. I love how Paul says it in Colossians chapter 1, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, God in flesh. And through Him, God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. That means because we're commandment breakers, there's only one who can reconcile, restores back into friendship, relationship with God, and that's Jesus because Jesus did it perfectly just means we all need Jesus because of the false gods that we've created in our life. We're going to take five minutes, five minutes just to silently and quietly reflect where you are sitting in the space today, and if you're at home, please enter into this five minutes, five minutes to reflect on this question, what false gods still have a place in your life? And would you be willing to say goodbye to them today? What false gods still have a hold on your heart, still have a hold on your mind, still have a place in your life? Reflect on that question. What are they? Who are they? And in this moment today, before you leave or before you sign off, would you be willing to simply say, I'm saying goodbye to these gods that have had a hold on my heart and my head whether it's for weeks, months, years, if not decades, if not just your lifetime. And if you've not yet made the decision to actually turn your life to Christ, then let this time of reflection be this moment for you to say, Jesus, I didn't know that I needed you, but I recognize because you were perfect in ways that I certainly was not. Jesus, I'm turning to you to be made right, to be reconciled, to be redeemed, to be restored back into friendship with God. So God, just in these moments, take some of these questions that were asked a few moments ago to help reveal what are some of the false man-made lesser gods that we often give who we are to, our affections, our hearts, our minds, our soul. God, the command is clear. And so please, in these moments of reflection, would you not only reveal what these false God or gods are, but would you flood us by your Spirit with the courage to repent from them and to walk away from them so that you and you alone are our only God.